Welcome back to another Corner Conversations Behind the Message podcast. We're talking about Ezra and Nehemiah today. We're jumping into this narrative, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, and their walk after exile into rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls at Jerusalem and how everything falls apart. So it's a really fun conversation. Uh, Super excited to open this up with y'all. Rachel, 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 say something. Please, Hi. please save us oh, quickly. Yeah, you, you gotta. No, what? You I have mean, to what? what? What's what you, happening? I don't know. You have to talk. Hello, I'm here. What am I saying? Anything? Good morning. Yeah. It's not morning. <laughs> it's evening. I don't know what time it is. The good thing about podcasts is you can say whatever time you want, and they don't know. People don't know. They don't know. It's the afternoon. No, it's, it matters. Now they know. Now they know. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. We gave away it's the, the secret. It is two twenty in the afternoon on Friday. It's December twenty fourth, <laughs> 2019. I mean, and, oh, uh, I wish. You know, how do you feel about that? That we are halfway through twenty twenty. That so makes well. no sense. But if it know. was, if you were, if it was December twenty nineteen, and you somehow knew everything that was going to happen. What would you do? Oh, man. I don't know. I probably would have... That's a really good question to ask, though. I would have, you know, like, do the things that... Like, because we were supposed to go you to would, Arizona. I would have gone would you? earlier, you know? I don't know if it's <laughs> so much, like, changing activities. But if, if like, someone came and told me in the next six I months... I wouldn't believe them. Right. <laughs> you're going to have this, like, terrible virus yeah, overtake the world. Knew. You're going to, in your city, have a man be murdered and have it mm. spark a worldwide protest. Wow, yeah. Murder Hornets. I feel like... Murder Hornets. Don't <laughs> well, forget about the Murder Hornets. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. <laughs> There's like a dust thing. The pigs who There's ate like the cocaine. There's yeah. like the South going. Like, yeah. I don't, we're getting, weird dust we're getting the we're locusts getting dust from in the Africa right now. Oh. You, now you're just making stuff up. Have no, you seen the, the locusts in Africa? Like... It's the worst locust swarm in over 50 years. I will right say. Now. If you turn on the news, there's nothing about anything other than the three things you know about. It's because I don't read the news. I actually go get the news. Fine. I'm going to put that on the list. That's a really... <laughs> that is such a good one. I don't read the news. I actually oh, go get the news. I thought you were going to say, oh, I, I go to where the news is. <laughs> No. For those of you who uh, don't know, that we have, over the last couple of years, have been building a list of things that Greg says that are a little over the top. This is the first one that's ever been recorded. I think so. Yeah. This is documented. Oh. You, could, you could totally push off the rest of the list, but not that this one. That list got... is getting long. <laughs> well, remember, it was it's your hope and wish that we put this into a binded book at your funeral. So. I hope it's a book before Man. then. <laughs> I mean, that should be a blog right now. Like, we could, You could uh, call Scott Hagen and see if you can get some suggestions on one line book pages yeah. and so that's all yeah oh. uh, that's so great I'm glad that you get the news yeah. <laughs> I think it is good to like process it and to realize yeah I, not that I'm gonna do anything different but 
how do I position my heart if I know that the next six months is going to be really, really hard or really, really easy? And I just, I think I want to be more aware of well, the hard but, stuff. But if I told you, just so you know, Zach, the second half, we're walking into the second half of 2020. Yeah. And the second half is going to be way harder than the first half. Yeah. Oh. Well, I just think, again, like, God, I need your help. But what, I, what I would say <laughs> is that I would give the same answer as I would have given to... 2019. In, Janu- in January yeah. of 2020. I would say, I don't know if it, I don't believe it can get that hard. Sure. Isn't that weird? I, 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 for sure, I would have said in January, I was like... I don't know. I don't think it can get any harder. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do you think? Would you? I mean, I think knowing the specifics of it, like knowing details, I feel like I'm just inherently a planner. I feel like I would have planned differently. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't have bought so many plane tickets for a few things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Hey, that how was true. Florida? <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Hey, Daryl and Ellie, I hope you're having fun in Florida. <laughs> I hope they post all kinds of pictures oh. for you to see at the beach. I think this season, more than any before, has just shown my need and probably our need for continued connection with God. And it's really easy for me to think I'm connected to God, but I'm actually being self-sustaining and... Yeah. I think he partners with us, and I think he actually expects us to be self-sustaining to some extent, but in partnership with him. And when I do it outside of partnership, if life's easy, I can just go for months and not even really realize that I'm just doing life without God. And so it's a little internal focus, but but a, but a moment I've known of I need. pure, no, like noble, I mean, really well-adjusted thought process says, you know what, in... Life's greatest challenges, it makes me better. Yeah. The problem is, is that I don't think it's just a cultural thing. I think everything in humanity says, ooh, avoid the hardest things with all you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a problem with it, where it comes to relationship with people, which I think God has no problem with, is that over and over again, I would say to myself, man, in that season, I would say in this season, I have learned and grown a lot, hated it. Yeah. But I've learned and grown a lot. and But also, I know that in my efforts as a pastor or as a parent or whatever, friend, I would work really, really hard to protect people from suffering bad things because I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to suffer. And I feel like God, in his well-adjustedness, he doesn't do what I do. Yeah. He doesn't throw himself in front of the bus in order to prevent pain. He goes, oh, they're growing. That's so good. Yeah. He's not like this. I mean, he's our rescuer, but not in that sort of a way. <clears throat> he's not gonna just take it for us. Well, like, so we can... did didn't, didn't rescue, the rescuer? I, like... I think rescuer just came from bad Australian worship music. What Australia? <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> the idea I that mean... God is a rescuer. Mm-hmm. I, I think he is that our new keyword for Hillsong. <laughs> <laughs> Darlene is the only oh. one. It took me a while to But but I but I really think that I I don't know I need to think about that study that more is that is idea that God rescues is that really one of his character traits yeah. or not? Well, I think when we look at scripture. What we see he rescues us from isn't what I want to be rescued from yeah. most days. Like, yeah, he's already performed the rescue, and what he's actually rescued me from is from myself, from yeah. my own, like, just perpetual heading toward the cliff. And 
like life in Christ means you're gonna have a ton of hard stuff. Like yeah. expecting hard stuff. Even though mm-hmm. he, I, th- I think the character of God would go, uh, the, the character trait of God would say, "Oh, he's running towards the cliff. This this is gonna hurt bad." <laughs> yeah, I, I'm shrugging yeah. my shoulders. I think I'm going like I'm going <clears throat> way bigger picture of like being rescued from eternity in hell. So like yeah. being rescued from separation from God. I'm pretty sure that's one of the only things he super super cares about. Do you think that's a fair representation of what? Like, do you think rescued is a fair interpretation of that? Because I don't. Thinking of in the relationship context to think you're rescuing somebody is pretty, pretty disgusting. Yeah, sure. Uh, and if God, if God <clears throat> rescued or wants relationships so that we can view Him as some, rescued Him, that's pretty narcissistic. And Wait, I I always gross. go back to the picture of the rich young ruler. Jesus let him walk away. Yeah, but think about the 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 people, the two guys hanging on the cross and his right and his left. Is that, you know, it wasn't, he didn't, the one who submitted to his messiahship didn't die on the cross oh, that day. Yeah. He, that and was painful. the same, same death as the one who was hurling insults. And uh, um, just thinking about the martyrdom of his, of the apostles, uh, Jesus didn't just go, oh, guys, I'm sorry. He said, no, guess what? It's coming, buddy. <laughs> you're gonna. It's coming. You're gonna die. <clears throat> yeah, I just, I've, I feel like it's really empowering to think of what Jesus did as an act of desperation for a relationship with humanity, rather than mm-hmm. a, I'm doing this so that everyone can realize that I'm so cool. And, oh, for sure. Like, yeah, I'm the yeah. rescuer. No, and, and I think with the whole conversation, mm-hmm. I mean, rescue. It's kind. Of, it's not the point in a sense. Like God, I don't yeah. think Jesus came so that we could be rescued. I think it came for so much more than relationship. That. Yeah, relationship is so much more than rescue. Yeah, and I think that's what he cares about when I'm waking up wanting to be rescued from my day. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't need me to be rescued. He's just I'm with you. Yeah. I want relationship with you. I want you to go build relationship with people in the middle of chaos, in the middle of pain. Like the yeah, the guys on the cross is just such a crazy picture that he Jesus didn't care about their physical being in that sense. Yeah, yeah I, don't, if, I don't, if, and I don't. I wouldn't say that he didn't care. I mean, that's the vernacular I use. Sure. I think he uh, had empathy. I mean, yeah. how much more could you have? You're yeah. hanging there. You're literally with them. But, uh, but also, if you, I, I think that the picture of it is really good with a, a little, a little kid when you're comforting a little kid. You know that moment when you're like dusting them off, and they feel like oh, I'm gonna die, and you're just like, "Go have fun, buddy." And uh, you know, so I feel like when we're going, this is the worst, and God is just like, yeah, blows on it once and sends you on your way. Well, if we if our goal is to be more Christ-like, um, to be more like Him as we deepen relationship with Him, if we are if we view God as this rescuer then what does that do in the way that we treat people? What does that do in evangelism and missions and the way that we care for our neighborhoods? Yeah. It yeah. changes things. And you, we have to keep in perspective is that people, while Jesus was present here on earth, during the concentrated moment of his public ministry, people still died. People still were sick. Oh, yeah. And uh, everybody Jesus healed died. died. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But, but the, the powerful picture of this, though, is that so much of Jesus' healing was done 
in the, the face of the cultural thing that said, hey, the reason you have leprosy, the reason you're blind, the reason your hand is withered is because God doesn't like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, was is the withered hand <clears throat> that big of a deal? Yeah. Is being realizing that you have relationship and the love of God, even though what culture says is that you're unclean and you must have done or somebody else did something bad to make you this way? That's, uh, that's intention. Mm-hmm. And so that's why <clears throat> when you think about Jesus is like, I, I, I believe that there, I believe in the healing of God. I believe that God does heal people. But uh, why doesn't God heal everybody? Is, is such a valid question that wrecks a lot, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I've had those moments. And what do you do with that? Um, you can, one, you can just defame God and go, he doesn't, why does he care for them and not for me? Or he's just, he doesn't, he isn't capable, or he doesn't, whatever. You can, all those things to heap on him. Or you can have, try to wrap your head around a bigger perspective that I, my faith says that God has that I know that I don't have. Hmm. That's easy. That's good. (laughs) It's kind of like looking at 2020 and going, God, if you were real, none of this would have happened. Hmm. And uh, I think some of the perspective that we've talked a lot about is that what has been exposed in 2020 in the character of our culture, the character of our responses, like the character of media was already there. Mm-hmm. And COVID and the murder of George Floyd brought those things to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you feel in pain in a moment <clears throat> and how you respond to it, which is, this, it's really gross, but you go, well, you know what? I might have had that type of character before it was exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> which kind of in a way ties into what we're jumping into with United Service and the next few weeks of this storyline of people thinking that they're doing the right thing and yep. actually they've, they're missing it yep. and they don't really understand that until hundreds of years later when Jesus finally shows up. Yeah, we're jumping into a, a study of Ezra and Nehemiah which is uh, an ancient writing would be one scroll or one writing and we've divided it in our church history into two books and uh Zach just like you said is that it is the worst type of narrative when this is the narrative that I hate in myself the most is when the moment when I'm like 100% sold out that I am right yeah <laughs> and I'm doing a good thing and this is perfect and uh the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah these narratives of Zerubbabel of Ezra of Nehemiah and their coming out of exile and the the recurring narrative of the four sections of these two books is this moment of wholehearted failure Uh, and uh, can we learn from that and also can we see that how much that points towards the need for the messiah and how that messiahship is jesus and oh it's great (laughs) i've i've i mean i've been so into this I've, I've read these books and I've read so much about these books over the last uh, month. It's just been really, I don't know, transformative for me. Um, I, I think I would like to be a more of a biblical scholar than I am. And uh, when I have a moment when I can dig deep into that. And then when I love it when things are just so radically, like this is, was written so intentionally, so beautifully, as opposed to, I'm... I struggle with spelling. 
Yeah. <laughs> Quit. There's a couple of things that I've purposely changed because the spelling is a little off, and then I change it to be completely mm-hmm. off and make it a different word. I know. Word. Wait. <laughs> Zach, that hurts my feelings. All of a sudden, I can I'm, in, I'm in Mr. Abrahamson's fourth grade class, and it's the public like spelling bee in front of everybody. <laughs> I'm getting up. Scott, can you talk a little bit in your... You've mentioned it a few times, and I think it's interesting of what the more traditional, or at least what you've heard, understanding of mm-hmm. Ezra Nehemiah, and yeah. maybe some of the issues you've you've so, with that. So one of the, as we look at Ezra chapters one through seven, and Rachel, you can jump in anytime. Oh yeah, you're, you're, absolutely. We've, we've just monopolized. No, this it's been good. Like you're talking. <laughs> I've been like, you guys are obviously you've got this. So. Uh, but Ezra one through seven is this. There's the three narratives of coming out of exile. Uh, one through seven of Ezra is Zerubbabel coming back to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezra uh, eight through 10 is the uh, Ezra himself coming back to rebuild or bring back the Torah or the, the rule of God. And then Nehemiah, uh, which has two, two sections. The first section of Nehemiah, uh, one through seven, eight is... Uh, the narrative of this rebuilding the wall, and it's uh, it's kind of a break from the failure. Unfortunately, it's just teeing up the ultimate failure. Mm. Is that it's this story of incredible favor, and then incredible opposition, and then the last half of Ezra or of Nehemiah is this narrative of uh, it's this like they're just like fist pumping. You know, we are so committed to God. It's so great. We're fully committed to you, God, and. We'll never be a same, the same again. And then it like is this little interlude in the text. Like Ezra has to go back and hang out with the king for a minute, and then he comes back, and it's just all falling apart. And so the distance between complete declaration of like we're all in, we meet at this time. There was, you know, centuries of prediction of this being taken into exile, and we kept on failing. And then we got taken into exile for seventy years, and now it's been over fifty years of this rebuilding. But now we mean it. It's the I mean it this time. Yeah. Prayer, and then uh, basically Nehemiah ends with him. Uh, I mean, I extend some emotion to him, but he's like just wrecked. He's wrecked because of how the people have failed. But the thing that like Greg asked five minutes ago is that uh, um, I've been kind of shaken by the traditional, not theologian interpretation of these texts, but tra- the traditional pastoral interpretation of these texts. Because we, I'm talking about me as a pastor, I love biblical text that has a nice little bow to it. And so you read Ezra 1 through 7, and, uh, you know, we know that with a little bit of Old Testament history, you'd go, man, the Israelites were not supposed to associate with people that are not Israelites, I guess. And then they come back from exile, they rebuild the foundations of the temple, People that saw the temple when it was uh, the original temple were screaming in tears and pain. And the people who had never seen it because they were younger, never seen the old temple, were cheering. And it was just like this blur of noise. And then the next line, the next, when you turn the page, is the Samaritans coming up and going, Hey, we we worship your God. Can we help you build the temple? And um, they say no. And like this, like a lot of... I mean, if you YouTube search sermons on 
the first seven chapters of, of Ezra. There's so many pastors going, they finally got it. They finally got it. They didn't want to have anything to do with people that are bad. <laughs> That's why we only listen to Michael W. Smith. They finally purified themselves. And bad Christian music from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, darling, let's go. <laughs> I know. But, uh, and so it just, it, it's so easy. Again, with good intention, they go, ah, being set apart. That seems so godly. And uh, um, the pain of Ezra specifically and Nehemiah as well these writings is that the habit of this text is that it ends so abruptly like there's a like an exposure of failure and then it's like story end <laughs> there's no like in our western story formula we always have some form of and then this happened or mm-hmm. at least there's a moment where you go um, they all of a sudden they held hands and then the credits roll and you go oh they must have made it but here in Ezra, they just go, we don't want your help. And then it was, it's 15 years of chaos. Next story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's so, so easy as a pastor or somebody who wants to be close to Jesus, uh, somebody who wants to be a follower of him, to grab onto the, a simple principle and say, hmm, the Israelites, they didn't want to ha- have help from ungodly people. <laughs> and then uh, and then just moves us into the New Testament I don't I, you guys should talk about that because it just wrecks me wrecks mm-hmm. me because of uh, who Jesus is well I mean what does that what does that do in a person when that becomes the goal is I mean a lot of my youth group experience was <clears throat> that was the goal to be set apart yeah to and, live above reproach that was the thing. yeah it, the problem with it is that if you have to be perfect in order to be elevated, nobody can be elevated. You can put on a good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the byproduct of it is... Well, is, I would even go further. Like, why, why is the point even to be elevated? It, exactly. Yeah. I don't yeah. see Jesus do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think unless we take, it's on a cross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we take these commands for sure, and I think we just take them out of context. Or have taken them out of context traditionally. You know, be holy as your Father in heaven is. Be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I think we don't do the justice of actually figuring out what those mean. <laughs> we just assume that it means our external behavior. Yeah. And that's a big disservice to the truth. Absolutely. Well, it's it's so intentional in the Ezra text that it says they're enemies. And now, again, if you look at the narrative after and you know the context of where they were it's the Samaritans it's these people that were did not go into exile and then intermarried with the people that were left behind and so they were no longer Israelites they were no longer they were not you know they weren't foreign people they were this remnant of like kind of close you know and uh but just hated and so Ezra uses the word so our enemies showed up (laughs) and uh and the reintroduction of the Samaritans in the New Testament is in the Gospels when the first one is when in John chapter 4 where Jesus is walking through Samaria, which was a no-no, and he has an interaction with a Samaritan woman. And uh, in that interaction again, hey, can I, 
can I have a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? That's mm. such a big moment. It's like that tension and that brokenness goes back to the moment in Ezra. Mm. When did that break? This is that moment when the, uh, the Israelites said, hmm, you're not good enough. And so... Yeah. You're think not about, one of us. Yeah. And so think about that, that centuries later, a lady at a well realizes that this is an, an Israelite and goes, why, you, you, don't, you don't talk to me. I, I'm worthless to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, then on top of that, so then Jesus being the completion of this, <laughs> the Jesus is the completion of this narrative, is that then he, you know, the, he has this interaction about, you know, you know that oh yeah you you guys worship in Jerusalem the God that you know and, and you guys the Samaritans you worship here on this mountain the God that you don't know but I'm telling you the time is coming and has now come when you will worship in spirit and truth everywhere mm-hmm. and uh, that is a moment where all of a sudden th- there is no Jesus never refers to the narrative of Ezra and Nehemiah he doesn't except that in that moment for that people group he is. Centuries later, he's going, guys. It was. We're, I'm sorry, mm. it got broken, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm. And right now, it's fixed through me mm-hmm. as the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard because the the Samaritans, for they still worship the God of Israel. It just because they weren't allowed, just because they didn't participate, they still did their best to live up to the laws that they of Israel. They they still culturally tried to be like Israel and continually you see those moments of yeah but you're not one of us yeah and the tension would be and and I get it so this is like the uh, simplistic pastoral interpretation I'm going to be mean to pastors but would say (laughs) you know the challenge is though they tried but they were wrong Hmm. and uh you know, I like how your southern accent comes I know, out. When you try to be a bad pastor, it's I know, southern. I know. <laughs> what are you Man, saying? I live too long in the south. That's too bad. I really try not to do that anymore, but I can't. I suck at that. Anyway, um, and so um, playing hockey, you uh, are wow. trying to bring it to even, the north. Even your Minnesota accent is something else. <laughs> I know. As somebody who grew up in Minnesota, I expect slightly better. Come on! Uh, Moving around. But but th- feel this, though, is that it's so easy to go, um, you know, remember the Samaritans were close, but they were not there. we got to be careful. Don't be like a Samaritan. Don't get super close, but not actually yeah, get it. And then the thing is... Don't is be that, lukewarm. Is that what... Yeah. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, again, if you jump into the Luke narrative, uh, Luke 10, is that right? Anyway, he tells the parable of the, the good Samaritan, and... Uh, so intentional again this is the the closing of the narrative of Ezra is that he goes what are, who is my neighbor was the question asked to Jesus you know really who is who's the neighbor and then he tells the parable person gets ransacked and then a priest and a Levite go by and they go to the other side which again is directly tied to the Ezra narrative mm-hmm. and they go to the other side and then guess who the helpful people that were helpful in the past come and they help again and the Samaritan says, can we help? And then the, the continuation of the narrative, if, if something hadn't changed, it would have been the guy from his deathbed would have gone, gone I don't want your help. Right. I don't want your help. I'd rather die here than be helped by you, which is what they said in Ezra. Mm-hmm. And instead, he received his help, which I think, which is, again, new perspective for me, is that I think the 
focus of this narrative is yes, the Samaritan was helpful, but I think the thing that was really radical to those that knew the Old Testament narrative front and back and memorized it and knew that from birth was driven into them is that they were so blown away that this guy dying accepted the help of the Samaritan. Hmm. Because the narrative that they knew was, we say no help from you. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, again, broken. So, like, wh- what does that say? What is Jesus saying? He's going, hey, I, I know their issues. But, you know what? It's their heart that counts. And, because believe me, when I look at you, you've got issues. And, and your heart is crappy. <laughs> and so, what, what does God want? Does he want a heart that is Christ-like, that desires to help? Or does he want a heart that's working really hard to look really good? Yeah. What do you think, Rachel? What does he want? I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping the answer is A. <laughs> oh, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of obvious, but this is just what has broken our church culture over and over again, is having these churches that aren't honest. And we only allow certain people in and... Like, you guys have obviously been talking about this a while, but even just hearing that whole thing about... I'm going to cry. It's my favorite I love thing. it. Um, <laughs> We're used like, to it by now. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm holding it back. Um, but, like, when you were talking about the Jewish person not even wanting the Samaritan's help, like, laying there on the side of the road dying, I'm just like, that That sounds so familiar to mm-hmm. a lot of churches now. And just, like, any time, like... A church connects with somebody of a different faith to do community work people yeah. I feel like are suspicious of that or connecting with a community to do anything like they're suspicious because of the whole idea of being set apart and being and it's just like hmm. why do we when we don't connect with community whether it's somebody of a different faith or people within the community doing community work or whatever why do we why won't we accept help yeah. like oh well, think about, again, Jesus at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he asked them, yes, so who is the good neighbor? And the answer was so obvious, but that was that was the biggest kick in the face. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, we can't say. We can't even yeah. say it. Like, and so, now, yeah. I actually think that it's there was a moment of hope when all of a sudden the people who heard this said the Samaritan. Because that, again, now the the Ezra narrative is broken because they said the Samaritan. Yeah. And they knew, I mean, they knew mm-hmm. from vacation Bible school as little <laughs> Jew kid. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I, uh, they knew the story. They knew and they like they would have just celebrated these these moments. Like, we came back out of exile. Uh, look what we did. And uh, All right, everybody circle up. We're going to sing Send Away the Samaritans. <laughs> Send- the way does Samaritans. Wow, that's good. <laughs> good <clap. laughs> Actions! Actions! <laughs> I wish you guys could see the video. But, but the thing that has to break us is that um, for each of us individually, you know, we see different people as being... Uh, I don't know if I want their help. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I want their help. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that help, we often quantify to like moving a chair or lifting a mm-hmm. couch. But uh, the most, again, apparently to Jesus's picture, it's internal. 
And so what if you not only needed somebody to help you move something that was a bad person, whatever that bad person means, mm-hmm. right? But what if you said, you know what? I need them to help me be a better person. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, that's again, when Jesus says worship was here or there, but now it's no longer here or there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the parable of Good Samaritan is like, they're, you don't need them just to help build a temple. You need them to save your life. Save your life. I think, too, like, even when we were talking about us being, like, thinking of them as bad people, I think there's also this being afraid of what other people think, like, being worried about what some other person in another church is going to say about you if you partner. And, I mean, I'm sure you guys have felt that before, but, like, those are just, like, these, it's not just even us or me or you, it's worrying about what the other churches and the other pastors think of you and like looking good on the outside to everybody and it's yeah. just like yeah I just don't care anymore I, I was like, I was <laughs> well that's good though but yeah, a lot yeah. of people do like, I don't know a to lot some of people, people it's not good yeah. yeah maybe you should care a little more I don't know but, yeah I feel like well I've I mean in that I feel like I made the decision years ago that if I'm an error on a side of that it's going to be error on the side of the broken and hurting mm-hmm. yeah if I'm in an error, like in relationship, like if I have to choose between relationship with a church and people and pastors or a relationship with my friend who they would consider the bad person, mm-hmm. I'm going to choose them every time. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's part of just like where I find the most joy in a church environment is hanging out with the sound guy and the custodial people. <laughs> Cause they, there is no, there are no errors there. Of like, you know, look at me. That's mm-hmm. so strange. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good conversation, and uh, the challenge is to uh, uh, take it from being, "Wow, that's that's really clever narrative. Good job, Jesus." To <laughs> to this perspective of uh, who do I personally think uh, can doesn't have anything to give to me or invest into me doesn't doesn't have for me what. How can I go from having the uh, the Ezra perspective of other people? Uh, it was Zerubbabel, but uh, but how do you go from that that era perspective of outsiders or different people or less holy people to the Jesus perspective? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this year, uh, the things that we've felt and seen and done, I think, have really set us up to to change surrounding that. And I hope that the church can can see that completion of that narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only historically through Jesus, but now currently as we try to be like him. Yeah. I want to encourage you guys listening. In the description of this, there's some take it deeper questions and Bible reading. Um, if you want to continue this conversation, uh, have it with people around you. Engage in the scripture, read, uh, and discuss with these questions. I think they're really helpful. Hmm. See you later, guys.